If you would please remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We are looking at the day of Pentecost. Uh, this morning we're going to start at verse 14. Um, we're going to be, over the next couple of weeks, looking at Peter's sermon that he preaches. Uh, this, uh, this week we're just going to go through verse 21. Uh, you do have the entire sermon there printed for you, for your benefit. Uh, this morning we're just going to read verses 14 through 21. Uh, basically, Peter is making two points here this morning. He is defending what just happened at Pentecost, which we'll look at this morning. And then he's promoting the gospel of Christ. And you'll see what happens when Peter stands up and preaches uh, this powerful sermon. So let's read uh, Acts 2, verses 14 through 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men dream dreams." Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Imagine this scene for me, if you would. That a husband and a wife are approaching their 25th wedding anniversary. So as that big day approaches, the wife has in her mind what she would love to receive from her husband. So she has looked through magazine articles. She has gotten actually ads in the mail. She has seen some things online, even TV ads for that necklace and set of earrings that she would just love to have. She has been dropping maybe not so subtle hints to her husband, maybe leaving those magazine ads out on the kitchen table uh, taking notes, uh, maybe not skipping through the commercials that they've DVR'd for those jewelry stores, uh, leaving something up on the computer so that he would see that, hoping that her husband would pick up on her clues. Well, the anniversary day arrives, and as her husband presents her with his gift, she realizes that box is much 
too large to be jewelry. And as she unwraps the presents to her horror, what does she find? A vacuum cleaner. Oh, how could he do that? Never buy something that you have to plug in for your wife or your anniversary. He should know that. Uh, and so she asks him the question, did you really think that I wanted a vacuum cleaner? How could you do this? I had been looking at ads. I left them out for you. We saw those commercials on TV. I've, uh, I've been hinting at this the whole time. How could you not pick up on it? And the husband would respond this way, I'm so sorry. Hopefully he would apologize. Um, but he said, you know what? Every time you use our vacuum, all you do is you complain about how old it is, how it doesn't pick up the dirt, and I figured that with all that complaining, you would love a new vacuum cleaner. Her words were very powerful. Her actions, unfortunately, her husband did not pick up on that. Uh, but her words were very powerful. This morning, as we look at Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, we're going to realize that words are very powerful. Uh, our title this morning is Words Speak Louder Than Actions. A little play on that phrase, actions speak louder than words. Because the words that Peter spoke on the day of Pentecost uh, were hugely impactful in the lives of the people who heard him preach. So just a quick recap of where we are in the book of Acts. Um, Luke is the author. We went through the, the gospel of Luke, and we saw uh, and we were convinced of the things that had been taught. That was the theme of Luke, that you would know for certain of what you had been taught. And Luke begins his second act in the book of Acts. Uh, it's a continuation of what Jesus had begun to do and teach in the gospel of Luke. So this is basically... A continuation. So we saw the ascension. Jesus is back up in heaven. Now we saw that the disciples had to choose a new disciple. We have Matthias now who has joined the ranks of the twelve. And then we uh, came to the day of Pentecost. This is 50 days after Easter. And the Holy Spirit came down with uh, the sound of a violent wind, with tongues of fire that landed on the disciples. And the disciples began to speak in other languages, the languages of the people that had been gathered there uh, for this celebration of Pentecost. And after this happens, people begin to ask questions. What is happening? But also, people are cynical. And we'll look at those distinctions. And they say, oh, these guys are just drunk. And we're going to see how Peter responds to that this morning. So Peter gets up and he preaches his sermon and uh, we need to remind ourselves as we go through this, every time we're going to preach through the book of Acts, we need to remind ourselves of the theme of Acts, and that's found in 1 verse 8, where Jesus tells the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We'll see how that is accomplished this morning. So, first of all, Peter rises to preach here, uh, Peter is being used here by God as the spokesman for the disciples. They're all there, but Peter is the one who stands up and he preaches. And there are two reactions, as I mentioned, to these signs and wonders that had happened. One is people begin to question, like, what is happening here? They're interested. They're intrigued. 
But the other is cynicism. People passing by saying, oh, these guys, these Galileans, they just must be drunk. And Peter responds to them. He defends Pentecost, and later on in his sermon, which we'll look at next week, he promotes Christ. So first of all, he defends the day of Pentecost. When Peter stands up to preach, we need to understand the great irony here in what is going on in this story. If you remember at the end of Luke, at the end of Jesus' life, uh, Jesus had told Peter that Peter would deny him three times. And so now Peter, the one who has denied Christ, is being used by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel. And that's tremendous irony, and it shows the power of God. What it tells me, and what great encouragement it gives to me, is that my sins and our sins are never too great for us to be used by God to preach the gospel, to be witnesses of Him. In fact, the two greatest witnesses that we have in the book of Acts, Peter and Paul, imagine who they were before before Christ. Peter denied he even knew who Christ was, and Paul was a murderer of Christians. And yet, the Holy Spirit uses these two men to take the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. It's incredible. So, uh, as Peter stands up, he refers to this prophecy in the book of Joel. And there's a couple of terms that we need to define in this prophecy. So, Peter uses this prophecy to prove to the people that what is going on at the day of Pentecost is a fulfillment of what God had promised. And, and Peter says that in the last days, God will pour out his spirit. So what does Peter mean by the last days? Well, these last days are a period of time. If we think of it in theological terms, it is the period of time from Christ's first coming to his second coming. So when you hear preachers who are saying, oh, we are in the last days of Christ, that is what we've been in for the last 2,000 years and what we'll be in uh, until Christ comes again. We have no idea when that will be. So when we lament about the fact, oh, you know, we're in the last days of Christ, sometimes people will think, oh, well, that's because we're getting that much closer to when Christ returns or his return is very soon. We don't know that. In fact, we've been in the last days for 2,000 years now. He will come back. We don't know when, but we are in these last days. And these last days are characterized by this being in in a difficult position of the already and the not yet. And I mentioned that in our prayer this morning. In these last days, we have this tension in the Christian life where Christ has come. He has conquered sin, death, hell, Satan. He has been resurrected from the dead. He is ruling and reigning in heaven. But yet we still have things that happen like the shooting in Orlando that just happened last night. Or a great tragedy, uh, sickness, um, struggles in our lives. So we know that God is ruling and reigning because of what Christ has done. But yet we don't fully experience that yet. When Christ comes again, all of that will be done with. It will be completely renewed. And that will happen on the day of the Lord. That's towards the end of Joel's prophecy there. Until the day of the Lord. That is the day when Christ is going to come again. It's going to be a great and magnificent day, as Peter quotes from Joel. 
It's also going to be a great and terrible day. Uh, This is the day that Jesus refers to during his first sermon when he was in Nazareth. He pulls out the scroll of Isaiah and he reads about the day of the Lord. And he says, this is fulfilled in your hearing. But what Jesus does, he doesn't talk about the terrible nature of the day of the Lord, of the judgment. He talks about the great day of the Lord, that salvation is going to happen. But we know from Scripture that on that day of the Lord, when Christ comes again, it will be great, but it will also be terrifying. It will be great for those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, but it will be terrifying for those who have not. Those who have faith in Christ will receive God's mercy and will be received into his kingdom. Those who do not have faith and trust in Christ will receive God's judgment, and they will not be received into his kingdom. And that's terrifying. That really is. So this will happen when Christ comes again. But between now and then, we're going to see the wonders of the Lord. And Joel mentions a lot there. He mentions blood and fire and smoke and darkness. And people will try to, okay, what does this exactly mean? Can we interpret this literally? Is there going to be actual moon turning to blood? Are we going to actually see that? Is that the blood moons that we've seen and things like that? Uh, Try to interpret the times uh, specifically. And I would argue against that. Uh, We need to be very careful with that because we don't know exactly God's interpretation of these. Uh, This may be metaphorical. What we are going to see is the wonders of God being played out, even in creation. We saw it at the crucifixion. Do you remember what happened from the, the sixth hour to the ninth hour? There was this incredible darkness that came over the land. How did that happen? How was the sun, in a sense, eclipsed for three hours? I don't know. It was a miracle of God. So even then, we have begun to see this prophecy being filled out. But what we know is this, and that is the end result. And that what Joel says and what Peter quotes is that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. And we can pray to that end. So in Joel's prophecy here, he prophesies that all flesh will receive the Spirit of God, that the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. And this is amazing, and this is very critical. It's crucial for us in our understanding of the day of Pentecost. So before Pentecost, God's people were the Jews. It was the Jews only. They had received the sign of the covenant. They had received God's Spirit. They were God's people. But now in the day of Pentecost, God's people are expanding. And beyond the borders of Israel, this was always God's plan. We had talked about that when God's Holy Spirit was uh, was poured out in the day of Pentecost. But now there is going to be no physical distinctions between God's people and not God's people. So when God pours out his Holy Spirit, it's not going to be any distinctions between male and female, between servants and kings between races, between ethnicities, God is going to pour out his Spirit on all people. And this is such great news for us, because if that were not the case, we sitting here would not receive God's Spirit, because we are the Gentiles. But because of God's graciousness to us, he has poured out his Spirit 
on us as well. So what do we do with this part of Peter's sermon this morning? How do we apply this to our lives and what he's talking about here in the prophecy of Joel? So we're going to do three Ps this morning. We're going to look at the preaching, we're going to look at the prophecy, and we're going to look at, the, at prophesy. We're going to do a little English, uh, English lesson here, the difference between prophecy and prophesy. So preaching, prophecy, and prophesy. So first of all, God's word being spoken in preaching. You know, in the example that I used at the beginning with this wife, uh, husband and wife celebrating their 25th anniversary, um, the point is, is that words are very powerful. The words that we use are extremely important. There's a phrase that has been thrown around in Christian circles that we want to talk about this morning, and it's this. It's preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. We're going to dissect that this morning because I think that it's misleading and I think that it's false. Uh, If you've heard that prior, it's usually associated with St. Francis of Assisi, Um, uh, but if you read his writings, uh, he never actually said that. I don't know exactly how that got attributed to him. He says things similar to that uh, in his writings, Um, but what has come down through the ages now is preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Um, And it sounds really pious. I think it would make a great bumper sticker. I haven't seen anyone with that bumper sticker, but it's one of those phrases that uh, that would fit well there. But what we're going to argue this morning and what we see in the life of Peter is that preaching the gospel requires us to use words. It requires us to communicate. The actions of God at Pentecost were amazing and they were powerful. The reaction of the people to God's actions at Pentecost were those two things. They asked questions and they were cynical. But it wasn't until Peter got up and by the power of the Holy Spirit, began preaching the gospel that this amazing thing happened and that thousands of people were converted to Christ. So it was through the preaching of the word that people were converted. Yes, actions are extremely important. Uh, For men's Bible study over the summer, what we're going to be doing is reading Francis Schaeffer's little book called The Mark of the Christian. Men, if you want to join us, it's 6 o'clock at my house in North Little Rock. Uh, It's a very short book, very easy read. But I'm going to have a little spoiler alert this morning. Uh, The mark of the Christian that Schaefer uh, argues in this book is from John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, where he gives a new commandment to his disciples. And he says this new commandment is this, that you love one another. The world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And you know that when we're talking about love, actions are so important. Because you can say that you love someone and act in a completely different way. So actions are very key when it comes to love. In fact, actions speak volumes. Uh, If you look at the lives of some famous people throughout history, like Gandhi and his passive resistance in India. His actions spoke volumes. Um, Rosa Parks, uh, a woman that the, the ladies will be reading about this summer in their book, her action of not giving up her seat on that bus spoke volumes. Uh, if you think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, his actions during the German resistance 
uh, of the uh, resisting Germans, uh, the Nazis during World War II. And our ultimate example, who showed the greatest love throughout all of history? And that was Jesus. And we're going to see that this morning as we celebrate communion. His actions of love spoke volumes to us. But when it comes to communicating the gospel, I'm going to argue that actions are not enough. We need to speak the truth as Peter did on the day of Pentecost. People will know that we are Christians by the love that we show one another, but people will know the Christ that we serve if we communicate the gospel to them. And what's more important for us to know, hey, he's a Christian, or for them to know the Christ that we serve? I would argue the most important thing is that they would know the Christ that we serve. You know, I've been attending a CrossFit class uh, at 5.15 in the morning, and it's been great. I've been able to build relationships with some of the members there, and it's been really, really good for me. Um, And they know that I'm a Christian. When I started off, it was because... Um, well, a 5.15 class is very interesting. There's not a lot of dialogue usually that happens at 5.15 in the morning. Uh, a lot of people just rolling in out of bed. Um, but they knew that something was different about me because uh, I, in my attempt to be humble and to serve the other members of my class. But it wasn't until I opened up my mouth and actually had conversations with them that I was able to communicate the gospel to several of them. And what is great is that I'm the pastor here at Trinity, but I also feel like I'm the pastor in the CrossFit class. Uh, Members of that have come to me with prayer requests. Um, And it's just been a great way for me to minister to them as well. Uh, Imagine if we did VBS this coming week and simply just showed love to the children who are here. Played games with them, had a great time with them, but we never actually opened up our mouths and communicated the gospel to them. Would that be a successful VBS? Is that the point of what we're doing? Um, Imagine if we just loved our kids as parents just by providing for them, um, just by putting meals on the table, just by feeding them, uh, giving them a hug when when they need it, and never actually communicated the gospel to them. Oh, Imagine if we sent missionaries overseas like the Mirabellas in Japan and just said, you know what, just care for their physical needs. It's very important for missionaries to care for the physical needs of the people that they're serving. But the point is that the gospel can be communicated to them. People will know that we are Christians by our love, but they will not know the Jesus that we serve until we open our mouth, until we communicate the gospel. So our first calling is to preach the gospel of Jesus. Second, this prophecy of Joel, the prophecy. God fulfilled the prophecy of Joel. And what that means for us is that our God is a God who is faithful and true. If you remember during Advent, we look at all these prophecies that God fulfilled when Jesus came and when he was born uh, on Christmas and when we look at those, the fact that God has given prophecy and then God has fulfilled prophecy, it should give us a great sense of comfort, a great sense of peace, because we know that our God is faithful and true. So we know that God has poured out His Spirit on all people. 
We know that we are in the last days and that the day of the Lord is coming. This should give us an urgency. And it instills in me this sense of urgency that if the day of the Lord is approaching, then God has called us to be witnesses to those who are around us. That's why we pray that God would bring in children this week who do not know the gospel. Because we don't know. The day of the Lord may come this afternoon. And we may not have the opportunity to communicate the gospel. So it should give us a sense of urgency, but it should also should fill us with comfort. Because we know that all the trials and all the sufferings that we experience in this life will eventually end. God is faithful and true and will bring the suffering of this life to an end. So we can take great comfort in the prophecy of Joel. And then finally this, prophesy. Prophesy is the verb. Prophecy is the noun. So prophesy. God is calling us to prophesy. Because God has poured out His Spirit on all people, it says that men and women will prophesy. Young and old will prophesy. It doesn't matter your race, your gender, your ethnicity, where you are from, where you are going. God has poured out His Spirit and our calling as witnesses is to prophesy regarding Christ. As we said, uh, the theme of the book of Acts is this, is that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And how do we do that? Through prophesying regarding Christ. You know, God has given us this incredible message that we have to share with the world. And as we come to communion this morning, we're going to be reminded of that message. We have the message of God's love for the world, His forgiveness of our sins, the mercy, the kindness, the redemption of God, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And because God has poured out His Spirit on us, we have the ability to prophesy concerning Christ, and we have the calling to do so. It is our calling to bring this good news to the nations. So what God is calling us to this morning is to let our actions lead us into the preaching of the gospel. And what do we preach? We preach the good news of what God has done for us in Christ. That His body was broken for us and that His blood was shed so that we might have a complete forgiveness of all of our sins. Sometimes it's difficult for us to open up our mouths and to speak the truths of the gospel. We're afraid of what people might think of us. We're afraid that we might not say the right thing, that we might sound silly or ignorant. But we have this incredible message to share with the world. This incredible message of God's love, of his mercy, and of his kindness. Who doesn't want to hear a message of love and mercy and kindness? This is what we have the ability to do as witnesses of the gospel. And thanks be to God, we don't do it on our own. We have the Holy Spirit who is poured out into all of our lives. So as we come to the table this morning, one of the things that we need to be reminded of so that we can be these witnesses of the gospel, we need to be reminded of what God has done for us in our lives. 
So as we come to the table this morning, we're reminded of the fact that this meal is for believers, those who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, who have experienced the grace of God. This is not Trinity's table alone. This is the Lord's table. So I invite you, I implore you, those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, to come and to celebrate at the table of our Lord. But if you have not, I would ask that you would simply wait. Wait until Christ, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is ruling and reigning in your heart. Those of you who have young children, we ask that you would let the elements simply pass them by. Use them as a word picture to communicate the gospel to them so that they can understand the truth of what Jesus has done. But if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, please come to the table. As we come to the table this morning, I want to read the words of institution from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Hear these words from Paul. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. 